Welcome to The Den Tapes, a podcast dedicated to the reading of horror fiction. I'm your host, Tony, so go ahead and uh, sit back, relax, and let's see if we can give you a case of the heebie-jeebies. Oh, happy holidays from me to you. It's that time of year, and there is no better way to wrap up season one with our tenth and final story than for it to be a holiday story. So, I also want to take a minute and thank all of you for spending the last ten weeks with me while I got this little fun idea off the ground. I'm going to take a quick break between season one and season two a kind of a post-holiday catch-up period to edit and write some more stories and i've got some ideas clunking around up in my noggin to make season two a little more fun and interesting for everybody so let's get to it this week's episode will contain some graphic content listener discretion is advised Our story today is called Gift from a Stranger. The plastic covering of the gas pump handle was cold on Emmett's hand as he squeezed it into the locked position. He thought to himself how great it was to no longer have to keep his hand on the trigger, stopping the meter at an exact amount so he wouldn't accidentally overdraw the bank account. Al, just two years earlier on this same trek to visit his wife's parents, he wondered not only if he could afford the gas it would take to drive the five hours and some odd minutes into the heart of Tennessee, but if he and Ruby would even be able to buy the kids anything for Christmas. Scarlett, their oldest, was pining over a new cell phone. Luna, their youngest, wanted a switch. To which Emmett told her the only switch he ever got as a kid was to the back of the thighs. If it hadn't been for Ruby picking up a shift at the hospital and stitching up Roger Hallwood's kid after his run-in with a knife on Thanksgiving two years prior, Emmett's novel most likely would have never seen the light of day. As Tom Petty sang about it being Christmas yet again, Emmett peered into the back of their brand new forerunner while the gas tank filled. He watched as Luna tooled away at some game on her switch and as Scarlet typed away vigorously with her thumbs on the screen of the most recent iPhone. Even with a Times bestseller flying off the shelves, he still couldn't shake the 38 years of poverty-driven anxiety that always loomed during the holidays. The feeling of things being too good to be true. That somehow, someway, he and Ruby would be back to struggling to stay afloat at any given moment. The pump popped and brought reality crashing back down around him. Luna opened the door and exclaimed with a cute, squeaky voice, Daddy, it's snowing! He smiled and squeezed the handle to get a few more dribbles of octane. Can I come out and catch some on my tongue like Nana taught me to do? Luna asked. Yeah, sure, kiddo. Hop on down. 
Emmett said with a smile as he returned the pump to the holder, latching it into place. He slid his hands under her arms and lifted her down onto the pavement, her poofy pink jacket rustling while he did so. She took his hand and they walked over to a patch of grass between the lot and the strip mall next door. There he watched her twirl with her tongue out, giggling. He looked back and locked eyes with Ruby who was filming Luna with her phone. They exchanged a soft smile, reassuring Emmett that things were, in fact, too good to be true. But that's the thing about truth after all, it tends to lacquer reality with a dripping wet waning. If not this, then that. If not here, then where? If not now, then when? If Ruby had not told Roger Holwood that her husband was a wonderful author, then this set of circumstances would have never played out. If Emmett would have sunk into his self-deprecation, thinking his writing was hot garbage, and had not emailed Hallwood his story, then he would have stopped the gas pump at $25, leaving just 10 in the account for the girls to get Happy Meals. But as Scarlet joined Luna, wrapping her arm around her shoulder, both of them catching snowflakes on their tongues, Emmett finally felt at ease. Coming to the realization that sometimes life just works out in your favor was a battle he needed to overcome, and he knew that with all of his being. Because if he didn't, a second novel would be near impossible to write, with a third never on the horizon. Ushering the girls back to the SUV, he found himself with his head tilted back, his tongue tingling with the sensation of fresh flakes melting upon it. He cackled as he looked back to Ruby, who was now filming him with one of those grins that only comes when you catch your partner doing something cute. The girls were fast asleep by the time Emmett pulled the forerunner into his in-law's driveway, if you could call it that the gravel crunching under the tires. Hey, make sure they don't run off. It'll be slicker than shit on that gravel out there from the snow, he said quietly as he killed the engine. Ruby rolled her eyes. Ugh, you've got the money now, babe. Why don't you just give daddy the funds to pave the damn thing? She said as she unlatched her seatbelt and turned to wake the girls with a huff. Emmett hated that his 40-year-old wife still called that worthless lump of wrinkled skin daddy. Even when they were counting out loose change to pay the rent for their two-bedroom apartment on the outskirts of Cincinnati back before he got his book deal, her father, her daddy, would call wanting help with bills, always prefacing it with, hey, please don't let your mother know. But no matter how much it irked him, Emmett did love Ruby very, very much and he always brushed it off. Especially now, with all of their accounts teeming with zeros. But the irony of it all now was that the calls stopped. They ceased as soon as Emmett hit it big with his first novel. The pride of that old shitbird astonished Emmett. The screen door squealed as it flung open, and there they were, Carol and Arthur beckoning the girls to come running in for hugs. Arthur, with that rugged old Santa hat on top of his white hair, same as every year before, Emmett shook his head at Ruby as the girls sprinted off with cries of, Nana, Papa! Ruby shrugged her shoulders, motioning that if one of them fell down, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. She whispered, Kids are resilient. They'll just bounce back up. 
The strand of multicolored lights danced on the porch of his in-law's Waverly, Tennessee home as a breeze brushed over Emmett's shoulders. The green vinyl siding from the 70s stressed from decades of wind and rain. The white paint on the shutters chipped, revealing the cedar planks below. In the dead of summer, the house looked as if it wouldn't last another year. But somehow in the falling snow with the Appalachians hugging the valley behind it, the house looked reminiscent of some old Rockwell painting, one that you would maybe find scrolled on a commemorative dinner plate. The dazzling, outdated, and probably hazardous holiday decorations shielding the deteriorating shell of the home from the world. Settling in, sliding the wrapped presents they had brought under the tree, the tree that Arthur made sure to gloat about cutting down himself, Emmett asked the same question he always asks Arthur. How goes it? Arthur smirked and answered the same way he always did. She's a-going. Emmett and Arthur had never been good at small talk. Emmett sat on the couch, the low howl of the wood stressing under him. The fabric against his arm felt more like burlap than the cotton twill Carol claimed it to be. He was waiting for Arthur to start in with the slights. So did you get yourself a real job yet, or you still doodling your little stories? Arthur asked with a smile. There it is, Emmett said under his breath. Daddy, you don't doodle with words, Ruby said with a discouraging chuckle, diffusing the oncoming argument. Oh, I'm just poking fun. You know, just joshing you there, Emmett. Arthur leaned forward in his worn lazy boy and patted Emmett on the knee. Ruby and Emmett had been visiting Carol and Arthur every Christmas Eve, long before Scarlet was born. Arthur liked Emmett when he first met him, calling him a union man. Before the cursor hovered over the send button on that email to Roger Hallwood, Emmett was a proud member of the local 42 Roofers Union in Cincinnati. According to Arthur, that was a much more honest job than writing was. But Arthur also thought butterscotch candy was the best candy out there. Just as Arthur patted his lap, calling for Luna to jump up for her first present to open, the power went dead. Well, at least we got plenty of wood for the fireplace, Arthur said as he began tickling Luna, who cackled, slipping her way off of his lap. Hey, Mom, where's, uh, where's the oil for all the lamps? Ruby asked as she sauntered across the living room behind the couch. Uh, but they're in the closet above the towels, Carol answered as she asked Scarlett to help her make some hot chocolate in the kitchen. Arthur winked at Emmett and pointed over to a shelf that held a few bottles of liquor. Hey, fetch one of them, will you? We'll make ours nice and tasty, he said with a grin. Carol tisked at Ruby. Ah, baby girl, you don't have to light all of them up. I'm sure the power will be back on in no time. Emmett chuckled at the situation as he grabbed a bottle of mint schnapps from the shelf above the manger scene. A knock came at the front door, causing the adults to turn towards it. Who in the world? Arthur groaned as he stood. Emmett sat the bottle of schnapps down on the coffee table and motioned with his other hand that he would accompany Arthur to the door. Arthur waved Emmett away but he pointed towards the corner where a Louisville slugger rested against the wall. Emmett nodded. Ah, damn meth heads might be at the door, Arthur muttered. Emmett readied the bat, both hands massaging the grip, 
ready to swing for the fences if need be. Arthur called out through the door, Who is it? This time, the knocks that came were ferocious. Three gargantuan thuds that seemed to shake the whole house. Arthur jumped anxiously. Emmett almost dropped the bat. Ruby and Carol held the girls in a huddle in the kitchen. Arthur, don't you open that door, Emmett said softly, but with the confidence of a chiseled-minded hero. His eyes met Arthur's, and they nodded at each other. Three more vicious-sounding bangs rang out. This time, a picture of Ruby, her sister Jasmine, and their parents jostled on the wall next to the door, almost breaking loose and falling to the ground. Emmett inched forward and raised a finger to his pursed lips, shushing everyone in the room. The air in the room was tense, palpable with the fear of something terrible on the verge of happening. Emmett motioned for Arthur to move to the side and allow him to take the lead. He looked back at the girls and waved them further into the kitchen. He whispered to Arthur, I want you to reach down and open the door so I don't have to lose the grip on the bat. Also, as quick as you can, unlatch the screen door so I can kick it open. Arthur confirmed he understood with a subtle raise of his eyebrow and a quick lowering of his chin. The door whooshed open, and with the finesse from his years in the army, Arthur popped the screen door open and shuffled to the right. Emmett kicked the storm door, the terrible slow squeak, now a rousing scream of metal sliding across metal. He raised the bat shoulder high, ready to unleash a deathly blow. The girls leaned around the corner from the kitchen, watching Emmett charge outside, yelling, Back the fuck up! Back! He fell quiet. They heard the bat clack against the ground just outside the door. Emmett! Emmett! Ruby screamed, leaving the huddle in the kitchen, jogging to the front door. Scarlet pulled at Ruby's hand, trying to keep her close. As Ruby's hand slid from Scarlet's, she called out again, Emmett! Are you okay? Answer me! She pushed past Arthur, swinging the old worn wooden door so hard it crashed against the wall. She gasped and raised her hand to her mouth and began to tear up. Emmett? Emmett, are you okay? She whispered. He was buckled over, kneeling on the ground. A jolt of surprise shook Ruby so badly she darted back and grabbed a hold of the doorframe as Emmett slowly stood his back still to her. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. There wasn't anyone out here, but... Emmett said, his words softly cutting through the falling snow. He turned slowly towards the house. Relieved, Ruby stepped forward and grabbed his cheeks, kissing him. I was so worried... She was so caught up in the moment that she almost knocked the thing Emmett was holding out of his hands. Wait, what is that? She asked, looking down at a square box wrapped with dazzling red and green paper, a gold bow with matching ribbon, and a tag with Emmett's full name scrolled perfectly in shadowed calligraphy. Well, could it be a bomb, you think? Arthur asked from behind Ruby. Emmett smirked and looked around at the neighborhood that was once sparkling by this time of year with Christmas lights abound. 
Now it sat dark and desolate with the rumblings of muffled rock music in the distance, coming from a house down the block. He chuckled and told Arthur, huh, I don't think you've got any prolific explosive specialist living out here, old man. Arthur huffed. You'd be surprised what you can do with some gasoline and powdered Tide. Luna casually walked up with a big smile and cutely whispered to Emmett. Daddy, it's from Santa. Look, he couldn't come down the chimney because Papa has a fire going. So that's why he knocked. Emmett smiled and knelt down, setting the present on the ground. Ah, that's right, baby. It's from Santa. He said with a soft smile, pulling Luna close for a hug. When she was buried in his chest, he looked up at Arthur and Ruby with worry in his eyes. The landscape around the house lit up with a flash of multicolored brilliance as the power kicked back on. The soft musings of Christmas tunes spilled from the television and Carol exclaimed, Oh, thank goodness. They all gathered themselves together and shook off the anxiety of what had just happened so they could return to the Christmas Eve tradition of opening presents. Emmett sat the gift from the elusive stranger on the table where Carol's Christmas village sparkled, a small train chugging in and out of a little town. You ain't opening that in here, Arthur said softly from behind Emmett's left shoulder. Remember all that anthrax nonsense? Could be something awful in there. Emmett turned and smiled at Arthur, replying, Oh, oh, of course. Scarlet and Luna tore at box after box, freeing what was held inside to hold up to the adults who ooed and awed. Arthur was thrilled with the air fryer Emmett and Ruby got him, mostly because his doctor had told him to start watching what he ate. Carol nearly came to tears when she opened the painting Ruby had commissioned an artist friend of theirs to create. It was a portrait of Carol in her younger days, sitting in front of an old Southern Bell telephone switchboard. Mom, don't be mad. I stole that picture from the scrapbook when we were here for the fourth, Ruby said, wiping a tear that had slipped its way down her cheek. Nana, you look so pretty in your new picture, Luna said as she squirmed her way onto Carol's lap. Emmett stared at the present from the stranger, wondering what it could be. His mind raced with the possibility of it being from a local fan of his book. Another thought was that the present was in fact something wretched. That maybe it was not only from a fan, but a deranged fan. As he remembered the pinnacle line, You stole my story, being delivered to Johnny Depp from John Turturro in the movie The Secret Window. He stood abruptly and Ruby grabbed his hand from her seated position next to him on the couch. Hey, where are you going? She asked, knowing what his answer would be. I... I have to see what it is. Look, I'll take it outside, okay? Ruby tugged at him, mouthing quietly. Leave it for when we get home, Emmett. He rolled his eyes in frustration and sat back down. Carol, now walking towards the kitchen, asked if anyone was interested in some more hot chocolate. Scarlet and Luna bellowed with excitement that they wanted extra marshmallows in theirs. Arthur smirked at Emmett and tapped the schnapps bottle with his finger. Emmett thought about the long trek home, six hours total when they stopped for the girls to use the bathroom, 
inside the 24-hour mom-and-pop's place at the border where they always stopped, where he would indulge in one of the finest cheeseburgers in the world. Sometimes on that trek back to the city, he wondered if the old lady that ran the place kept it open on Christmas Eve just so Scarlet and Luna, sometimes he and Ruby too, could use their facilities. And of course, to cook up one of those phenomenal burgers for Emmett. Buzzed off of four hot cocos and schnapps, Emmett was thankful the snow had subsided. He was actually buzzed enough to give Arthur a hug. Also buzzed enough to snap when Arthur smarted off about his book again. During their embrace, Arthur whispered, You know, real men use their fists. Only pussies use their words, prissy boy. Emmett pushed Arthur away, not hard, but hard enough that the man in his late fifties almost took a tumble. Luckily, Ruby already had the girls outside to dole out hugs to Carol, so they missed the whole thing. Embarrassment is something that can be fielded many different ways. For Arthur, the way he had found that worked best was to completely ignore whatever it was that caused the sensation in the first place. He righted himself, stood steady, and extended a handshake, muttering the phrase, Well, y'all best be hitting the road. Uh, Merry Christmas, Emmett. Emmett accepted the handshake as an unspoken apology and groaned, Merry Christmas, Arthur. Emmett turned to meet the others outside. The forerunner hummed smoothly as Emmett eyed the exit sign for Tollhurst Parkway. He clicked the turn signal on even though there was no other vehicles on the interstate with them. Ruby awoke softly as Emmett slowed to a stop at the intersection where he would make a right turn and cruise into the Shiloh Supper House parking lot. There were two semis and a power company van parked there. As the SUV came to a full halt, Scarlet yawned from the back seat. Oh, great timing, Dad. I really have to pee. Ruby joined Scarlet with a yawn. Luna moaned in her sleep. Mm, come on, baby. Potty break. Ruby cooed at her. Luna opened her eyes slowly and whispered, I want a juice. Emmett, who was now around the side of the SUV, opening the door to help Luna get down, said, I'll get you one, kiddo. What do you want? Apple? She rubbed her eyes and smirked, nodding her head, yes. Uh, you want anything, babe? Emmett asked. Ruby replied with, nope. What about you, Scar? She asked. You want Daddy to get you something? Scarlet rolled her eyes and groaned, I'm still full from Nana's dinner. Emmett gave the girls a thumbs up. The four of them walked to the front door of the diner. The silver garland wrapped around the handles had bells hanging from them. Those bells reported their arrival. Inside was a motion-censored dancing Santa that greeted them with a Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Luna tugged at Emmett's arm. Daddy, did you open your present from Santa yet? Until then, due to his almost skirmish with Arthur, Emmett had totally forgotten about the box from the stranger. Oh, I think I'll open it tomorrow on Christmas morning, baby, he said with a smile, even though deep down there was a sense of dread swelling. Nothing a burger can't fix, he thought to himself. The girls wandered off to the bathroom. Emmett moseyed to the counter where two men in power company uniforms were parked, slurping up country fried steak and eggs. Ah, another Christmas Eve, another burger to go? The frizzy gray-haired lady behind the counter said cheerfully. Emmett smiled and replied, Yes, ma'am, and a kid's apple juice, too, please. She shook her head in affirmation, her oversized bright red cat-eye glasses almost falling from her face. 
She scurried to the back, holding a hand up, loudly saying, Just give me about ten minutes, sweetie. From behind him, he heard a voice not too far away ask, Did you get my gift? Emmett began to shake as he slowly turned to see who had asked. He watched as a man sitting alone in a booth spoke into his cell phone, becoming annoyed. Well, I sent it out there three weeks ago. It should have already made it there by now. Relieved, Emmett pulled two quarters from his pocket and sauntered over to the KISS pinball machine. This, too, was part of his now 13-year Christmas Eve tradition. Luna bounced next to the machine, waiting for Ruby and Scarlet to return from the bathroom. Daddy, what's the point of this game? It looks silly. Emmett smirked. Uh, I suppose it is silly. You just keep the ball active, and you get more points for everything it touches. If it dies and goes down that hole, you lose. But you do get to do it three times. The bell at the counter rang out as Emmett watched the little silver ball shudder out of play. Burger and apple juice, ready to roll, Mr. Rangold. He took Luna's hand and they walked to the counter to retrieve their order. He took a straw and popped it into the apple juice. It squealed as it plunged in through the lid. Here you go, kiddo, he said as he handed it to Luna. How much I owe you? Every year on Christmas Eve, the lady waves a hand in the air and says, That's on me. Merry Christmas. And every year, Emmett throws a 20 down on the counter. Even before his big break, he'd make sure to set aside a $20 bill to give her on Christmas Eve. When they returned home, everyone was tired and ready for bed. He knew the three hours of sleep ahead would not be enough for tomorrow's festivities, but then again, he's been doing it for 13 years now. Plus, this year was one of those Christmas mornings that Emmett knew as a parent he wouldn't ever be able to forget. Luna's first bicycle. Emmett was up before the sun to wheel Luna's new bike into the living room, resting it against the window by their tree. He looked down and saw the present from the stranger, Emmett Christopher Rheingold, beautifully scripted on the tag. He thought he should open it up and inspect it before the rest of the family got up and moving. Ruby spoke softly from the stairs. Oh, morning, babe. He turned and smiled. Morning. Oh, I'm going to get breakfast going here in a minute, she said as she rounded the base of the stairs. He bent down and picked up the present. He shook it lightly. Something shifted inside. Open it up. I bet it's nothing. Might be daddy messing with you. He could have had one of his buddies in the neighborhood help him pull some weird Christmas prank on you, Ruby said with a shrug of her shoulders. Emmett smirked and said, maybe it's a check for all the money we've lent him. Ruby rolled her eyes and shuffled into the kitchen. Emmett tossed the present onto the dining room table, hands gripping the wooden top on either side, staring at it intently. I think I'm going to open it. If it's nothing, I can just tell Luna it was a lump of coal. She's really going to want to know what Santa brought me. Ruby gave him a thumbs up and started pulling things from the refrigerator to prepare breakfast. Every year they had briskets and gravy on Christmas morning with cheesy scrambled eggs and breakfast potatoes, the frozen Kroger brand kind. Emmett slowly tore the paper away from the sides, revealing a plain white box. 
It had a top that slid onto the smaller bottom, untaped, unfastened. He pushed the ripped-up wrapping paper, ribbon, and bow to the side, returning his hands to either side of the table. <sighs> Fuck it, he murmured through a deep breath. Sliding the top off, he squinted his eyes. What the fuck? He said loudly. Ruby joined him. Is that? She began asking as Emmett pulled a pink helmet from the box. Luna's name scrolled across the back in that same shadowed calligraphy. In that moment, Emmett realized he had indeed forgotten to get Luna a helmet. With all the blistering holiday happenings, he had space, stopping by Shaw's Sporting Goods to pick one up. Ruby asked him, Did you have that custom made? After considering bending the truth to cover for himself, he boasted, No, I totally forgot to get her one. Huh, maybe Santa is real, he said with a smirk. But deep down, something didn't sit right with him. Of course, Santa wasn't the one who had dropped that present off after pounding on the door so loudly it nearly ruptured his eardrums. But someone, something, had. Before he could contemplate further, the girls came hopping and skipping down the stairs, exclaiming their excitement for opening presents. Luna swooned over her bicycle. Of course, she loved the helmet, and when Emmett told her that Santa had brought it, she asked... But Daddy, why would Santa give you a present for me? Emmett, trying to hide his confusion from wondering who left the present outside Carol and Arthur's, answered, Well, baby girl, Santa knows the best gift he could give me was to make you happy. And what good is a new bicycle without a matching helmet with your name written on it? Luna giggled and shook her head with a squished little happy face. Spring of the following year came quickly. The weather warmed, the flowers bloomed. Emmett turned in his final draft of the second book to Roger Hallwood, who was coming over for dinner to celebrate. Ruby was in the kitchen brining pork chops for the grill, Scarlett was at soccer practice, and Luna was out front riding her bike, the one that Santa had brought to her. Atop her head was the pink helmet, the one that Santa had brought to Emmett. What time is Roger coming over? Ruby inquired loudly from over the sink. Uh, soon. Uh, he messaged me about 25 minutes ago, said he was on his way. Emmett answered, picking a record to throw on the turntable. Right as he dropped the needle on the scorpion's blackout, the sound of screeching tires filled the house. The crash that came after shook the windows. They looked at each other terrified because it sounded as if it had come from their driveway. Emmett rushed to the front door, slinging it open ferociously. He raised his hands to his head and began screaming, Luna! Luna! Ruby sprinted to the driveway and fell behind him on her knees. Roger Hallwood climbed from his mangled Mercedes, crumpled at the front end, smashed through the brick wall that held their front gate. He was mumbling, I swear... I oh, I swear I didn't see her. She came out of nowhere. Under the steaming metallic mess was Luna's bike, with Luna laying off to the side. That pink helmet cracked. 
Ruby dialed 911 as Emmett argued with Roger Hallwood about not moving Luna. Look, she might be hurt pretty badly. I don't want to move her. It might do more damage, he said as Roger clamored to get to the girl. Look, the ambulance will be here shortly. She's breathing. At least she's breathing. Roger, calm down. Emmett found relief in the words that had come out of his mouth. She's breathing. She's breathing. With Cincinnati General only being a half a mile away, the paramedics were on scene very quickly. Ruby and Emmett watched as they hauled Luna, who was now awake and somehow back to her cute little self, onto a stretcher. She asked if she could take the helmet off. It's poking me. It's all itchy. The paramedics laughed and took the helmet from her head very carefully. As one of them handed it to Emmett, she said, You know, that helmet is the reason she's still alive. If she would not have had that on, we would definitely be dealing with a much sadder set of circumstances. Besides a few scratches and bruises, looks like she'll be just fine. Ruby finally breathed easy and hugged Emmett. In that moment, Emmett knew that some kind of entity, call it Santa if you like, made sure Luna was safe. That sinking feeling of things being too good to be true twisted inside his gut. Because if Emmett Christopher Rheingold knew one thing, it was that reality and truth rarely meshed into perfection. Today, Luna's life was spared. But when would he eventually have to repay the favor? The stranger's gift had been addressed to him, after all. As he laid down for bed that night, after kissing Luna goodnight, after tucking Scarlet in, after his nightly day-ending kiss with Ruby, and after he clicked off his bedside lamp, a series of knocks reported from their front door. Three booming, wall-shaking thuds. Today's story was tracked, scored, mixed, and mastered at the Great Divide Den. I thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you again next season for more cases of the Hebe Jeebies.